Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to take a look at the results of a recent global survey on security conducted by Cyber Risk Alliance. Now, like many other professionals, security professionals depend on their peers as a source for education as well as inspiration. From dealing with a specific threat to broader strategy decisions, knowing what your peers have tried, what they've learned from those experiences, is often the key to success and making solid progress. So these peer insights can be gained from one-on-one interactions, networking, but also surveys that are conducted by reputable industry analysts like the Cyber Risk Alliance. Now to help us understand this latest report and go a little beyond it, perhaps getting some tips from other surveys that they've done in the same area, we've invited Bill Brenner, a researcher, director, strategist, tech writer, blogger, and all around good guy from the Cyber Risk Alliance. Thank you for joining us, Bill. You are too kind. (laughs) Great to be here. Well, um, now one thing I want to really get into to make sure people understand, because there's a everybody's doing surveys. Uh, Surveys have become like the big tool for security companies for the last year or so. And so a lot of them say they're global, but what it is is they've done like a couple hundred people in North America and maybe 10 or 12 in a few other countries and they call it global. But your team went above the norm in their outreach. Uh, would Would you mind sharing a little bit about the global and regional breadth of the survey, the way it's been even broken down by region and, and give us some methodology behind it? Sure thing. So this was truly a global survey. Um, We talked to over a thousand respondents, 1,100, and we covered, um, I want to say, let's see, one, two, three, I'm doing math in my head. We covered 12 countries around the world. Uh, We did a main report We did 11 separate reports, each one specific to each country. So in addition to the United States, we covered the UK, Germany, the Netherlands, other European nations. Uh, We covered the United Arab Emirates. Um, We covered some of South America, um, Mexico, which of course is North America, but then we went down to Brazil, And we also did a report that specifically focused on EMEA countries. So countries in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Yeah. And you did Singapore. Um, We did. did some Asian countries. So, yeah, um, that was one of the things that really stood out for me. Because so many of these reports, when you look at the statistic, it's, you know, 320 people, uh, 400 people. But you did over 1,000. And you covered all sorts of industries, too. Um, It it ranged everywhere. So there are the standards, right? So we covered financial services, healthcare, um, media, uh, professional services, manufacturing, which is interesting because increasingly, not just for the survey we did for Infoblox, but for a lot of our surveys, we... um, are seeing a lot more responsiveness from security professionals that are in the manufacturing sector. And I think that speaks to just the way the threat landscape has changed for them as they've become a lot more internet connected. 
Yeah. Yeah. Manufacturing stood out to me as well. Of course, I've been looking at that a lot myself recently because we've been getting uh, a lot of, uh, well, we've been just engaging a lot with that industry in particular, uh, as well as uh, other industries like oil and gas, a lot of IOT, uh, operational technology type uh, industries that are heavy in that space. Um, uh, I'm hoping to get to that a little bit later. Um, but before we go into any any specific technologies, I did want to one of, I mean, the, the, the cover of the report, it mentions that, you know, the, the work from home, the remote work is here to stay, but it's really not a work from home report. This is more about what I, I got out of it was this is all about hybrid, the hybrid future. Would you agree with mm -hmm. that? I would. I, I think, you know, when we talk about the remote workers spelling trouble for InfoSec, which is the subtitle of the report... <laughs> We're really talking about that as a cause of a lot of the problems that respondents outlined throughout the report. But this does really deal with the fact that, um, you know, with the pandemic, there was the big shift to everybody going remote. But now we're at this point um, and some and the time period that respondents were speaking to us about really covered that first year and a half of the pandemic, you start to see the challenges of going from all remote into this hybrid situation where some are remote, some are on-premises. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you uh, called out in the report, you broke down some of the initiatives that, you know, really have been the focus for these organizations um, for the last year. Number one, which I think surprised some people, didn't surprise me, was that they've accelerated their digital transformation in order to support remote workers. The reason that that surprised a lot of people, I think, is because, well, hold it, that was the number one thing two years ago when we were all starting to respond to the pandemic. I mean, wouldn't you be done by now? And what I'm learning is a lot of people, they just have, I think they have the wrong impression of what digital transformation. It's not just, hey, we're now going to adopt SD-WAN. We're going to flip a switch and you know, in a few months we'll be done. Digital transformation is a is a big initiative and involves a lot of different parts, multiple applications and technologies. Um, that's still number one on on their their list here. Yeah, you know, the start of the pandemic, we saw the wholesale rush to using more cloud based resources, um, and that part didn't really go away. But what happened was first it was, let's get all of this working so our people can work remotely. But then you go a few months in and there's the part of the challenge of, okay, we have everybody using these resources, but now we've, we've uncovered all of these holes and we've seen all of these examples of where attackers have taken advantage of these holes, especially ransomware gangs. And so what do we have to do to work these resources more securely? So as you, as you go on in that 18 month period, that's where you start to see, but, but, but it wasn't, everybody rushes to the cloud over done. Um, yeah. I mean, in normal times, any tech migration takes a long time. Well, yeah. a lot of it, it, a lot of it's also the fact that they tried things and some of it didn't work, you know, right. and so you're, you know, you're learning as you go when you all of a sudden have to move a half dozen or a dozen 
apps and functions into a cloud environment, um, you do your research, you do your best, but you know, nobody hits a hundred percent. And so a lot of them went out there and, and uh, found problems. Now, some of the vendors I saw like uh, zoom's a good example. Um, and you and I've talked about that uh, in another venue here where zoom went out, had problems, they changed features in the product to, because it was being used in a way that, you know, they hadn't participated, you know, they hadn't anticipated this either before the pandemic. And so they added new features and capabilities, but other vendors weren't quite so responsive. And so I see a lot of people in their digital transformation, they adopted a product and then had to go find an alternative. Um, and, and that really comes through, not just in, the data that came back from this study, but all of the studies that Cyber Risk Alliance Business Intelligence is doing, we're seeing the same thing. So all of these third-party providers that produce a lot of the resources that companies have adopted, um, a lot of attacks on them become attacks on the company using those resources. So I think the first big example that we saw of that was in December, 2020, when, when, um, solar winds Hmm. became a headline. And since then, all of our studies, when we ask about what are the things that keep you up at night, third party providers always factor in there because what kind of visibility do you really have in, in, into what these third parties are doing for their own security? You don't really, at least not now. Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, I thought it was interesting because you asked people, uh, there was a number of questions when you're asking them their strategies in certain areas and where they're having problems and where they're having threats. So I saw some uh, of the responses regarding third parties come in different areas of the report. At one point, some, uh, I think it was 11, yeah, 11% of organizations said that they were decreasing their reliance on third-party cloud providers, trying to do more of it themselves in their own like cloud data centers uh, and things like that uh, is what I'm assuming they do. You don't have that in the report, but that's what I've seen a lot of companies do is, you know, hey, why are we outsourcing this? Um, now we can buy a package and just do it in our own cloud. So 11 11% said they were decreasing reliance, but 30% that they're moving more apps to cloud providers. Um, I mean, cloud or third-party dependence, it, it is in the net net is that it's increasing. Yeah. You know, if you're a large enterprise, you're in a better position to build these things yourself. But even in that case, it takes time. So for a while, you're still stuck with these third-party resources. But if you're a company that doesn't have as much of a budget, um, particularly, you know, when you get to, when you get below the enterprise level, you know, you're, you're stuck with these third parties for longer, if yeah. not indefinitely. Because, yeah. Well, an enterprise, yeah. they get stuck with it a lot. Um, I've worked in it and, and security for over 30 years and I, I've been in that loop where you buy a product and then you realize, well, we got to do some customization. 
And a year later, you look back and said, wow, we spent $100,000 on the product. We can use those numbers for easy math. We spent a lot more. We spent $100,000 for a product, but we spent almost another 80000 modifying it, adapting it, customizing it, making it integrate with our unique systems. Um, your investment gets so big that even enterprises find themselves often locked into these solutions. Um, and then with security, sometimes, you know, you have those conflicts uh, that you really can't get rid of things, but you have to find out how to uh, kind of shift um, how you do business sometimes based on your security. A good example of that, I think, would be VPN. Um, VPN, valuable. It's, but I think too many people saw it uh, around the pandemic as a security tool where it's actually more of a, an access uh, kind of a tool. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden they said, well, ooh, we used to have 15% of our people remote. So we had license for 15% on VPN. Now we got to move it up to 80%. They just were hoping to flip everything over to VPN, but then they found out bandwidth and overhead and, oh yeah, we got to rack another, you know, five appliances. Um, it wasn't smooth. So I think right now when we see some of these things in your survey, in my mind, I was looking at it and saying, oh, well, that's because they learned a lesson and they're now changing again. So some of this digital transformation, kind of going back to our topic a few minutes ago, it's they transformed and it didn't work and they're re-transforming almost. <laughs> so um, I did yeah. want, let's see, there was one other thing here while you were talking about digital transformation. Um, oh yeah, we keep talking about, you know, securing the remote workers, but in your survey, I thought in addition to third-party vendors, 42% also mentioned that they were doing this to increase their support for customer portals because their customers aren't coming in anymore. You know, when you're in retail, things like that, all of a sudden things went to online. And while you may have had a small portion of your business now, you're doing everything, but there was also an aspect that I want to get your thoughts on. Um, as a remote worker, 10 years ago, I could do 80% of my job remote, but there were certain things I had to come into the office or call somebody in the office and have them do it for me because they didn't let you do everything remote. But under the pandemic, all of a sudden, everything has to be remote. Same thing I think was happening on the consumer side. Your customers were able to do some things online and other things. No, you have to come into the store to do that. But all of a sudden, everything has to be available remote if you really want to keep your customers. So I think it wasn't just the enabling more remote, you know, up, uplifting your capacity. It was actually adding new services for remote employees as well as remote customers. Would you agree with that? I do. And, and it's been a messy process, right? Um, so here's the double-edged sword. On the one hand, customers demand that you protect their security, that you protect their information. On the other hand, you know, if you really want to deal with people who are on the lower end of the patient's threshold, it's, it's the people who are trying to go and quickly buy something. And they don't want extra hoops in the way. Um, and so that's a tough balance for any company to meet. And that's been a long-term struggle 
but all of the twists and turns and and whiplash that this pandemic has brought on us has forced companies to do a lot more figuring these things out on the fly. And when you're doing these things on the fly, you almost always leave some vulnerabilities behind despite your best efforts. And so that's one of the big things that, that respondents to this study really expressed. Yeah. And, and I've seen that in, uh, you know, the way you, you phrase that kind of reminded me, I've seen that in disaster recovery um, amongst other initials. I'm a CDRP or disaster recovery planner. Um, and when a hurricane or something hits an area, all the banks are out. Your customers have a little more patience because they understand everybody's out. Well, most of them do. <laughs> most of them realize everybody's out and they have a little more patience. But as the weeks go on and other banks, for, and I'm just going to use the bank as an example, they're back up and their services are back up and they can do everything their ATMs work. But if you're the only one who still hasn't been able to adapt and, and, and recover, then you're going to lose customers. And that's the same thing that happened here online is that people were willing to, for a short time, put up with some inconveniences. But like you said, over time, their competitors were doing things better, making it an easier experience, a, a smoother experience. Um, and uh, the ones who lost, it was interesting uh, to watch the stock market. The businesses that went down were the ones that were not replying or responding well to uh, supporting remote customers. So I think that was an interesting right. topic. I think too many people, and I want to make sure my audience at least understands, this report is not just about your remote workers. It's about all the things that we've had to do in the last year or so to support the fact that more of everything is hybrid. And that includes customers that will sometimes be online, sometimes be maybe in store, uh, depending on your business model. Hybrid is messy. Definitely messy. And um, it's going to continue to be. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, a section that you uh, had in the report on breaches. I mean, I mean, what's a security report without the section on scary stories? Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of those stats are not the kind of thing that the security people are going to be really surprised about. Um, that's very useful. I think it's a very useful piece of information because if you want to get more budget, you need to tell more scary numbers or provide more scary numbers. Um, that's one of the best ways to get budget. Um, and so I want to go into that a little bit. I thought one of the things that was interesting on that tied to the third party thing that you were mentioning before, you know, people are really worried about the experience they're having. 11% are reducing their dependence on third parties. 30 some odd percent are increasing their dependence. But from breaches, 25% of your respondents, and this is again, over a thousand people worldwide, one in four said that they'd actually had a, bre a breach that originated with a third party. So yeah, and we're, we're seeing that um, every study we do. So in January, in, well, January, we did a study specifically about the third party challenge. Um, February, we focused on ransomware. Um, March was zero trust. Uh, last month was cloud. And this comes up again and again and again. Where was your point of failure? Third parties. 
Yeah. And you know, when you just listed that, my, my wife and I were talking about how, you know, there's all these different uh, holidays of the month, you know, um, this month it's pride month. We had black history month. We had uh, uh, Pacific Islander month. Uh, there's all these things around the month. We need a cybersecurity calendar. I like your your thing where every month we can focus on a and topic. I, you know, literally, you know, what I just mentioned the 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 order with which we do topics. It it is we we come up with a calendar. We decide what our core topics are, <laughs> and that's what we do the surveys on. And each month is that specific focus. Yeah, and it's interesting because as, as you've been pulling back and referring to other reports, that some of these topics keep coming coming back. Um, yep. and, and so going back into the breaches, one of the things that wasn't a surprise to me was Wi-Fi, but, and, and it wasn't too much of a, of a, of a surprise about endpoint. Although I thought it was very interesting. You got respondents to break it down to how many breaches they saw that were from a remote endpoint that was employee owned versus one that was company owned. I thought That's that right. was interesting. 29% yeah, 29% uh, say their remote endpoint was employee-owned, and 24% of breaches were employer-owned. Now, it's only a 5% delta, and together, they're over 50%. Over 50% of them said that they had breaches that originated on endpoints. Yeah, you know, one, one of the things that was interesting to me, so I'm a history buff, so I tend to look at a lot of this data through a historical lens. And, um, you know, if you go back to 2010, there was the debate over bring your own device um, because iPads had come on the market. iPhones were well on their way to starting to become ubiquitous. And there was a debate and you had a lot of companies feeling that they had a choice. They could either allow it or not. And that's still the case to an extent, but with the number of people who have since gone remote in this hybrid environment, what I see in the results are respondents kind of throwing up their hands and saying, okay, this train has left the station. We can't control what people are doing on personal devices for work and what they're doing on company devices. We can set up alerts so that if somebody does something they're not supposed to do on a, on an, on a personal device, we can see it. Mm -hmm. But what do you do when the volume of those alerts is just too great? And that's one of the other things that people pointed out in this study was just the, the, they're drowning in alerts and how do you keep up with all of that? And so that mix of company owned and, employee-owned devices is here to stay. So now the question going forward is going to be, what's the security balance to be struck? Yeah. The one thing that stood out that I, I um, you know, I, I think it would be the most shocking to most people is that if you take a look at that employee-owned versus employer-owned, there's very little difference. Forcing people to use an employer-owned device has very little additional security as far as the number of breaches that result. Um, it's, it's very interesting that, you know, I, I expected a bigger delta between the two. It was only, you know, 29, 24%. I expected a bigger delta and it wasn't, wasn't that big. Now, yeah, 1% more breaches a year, bad. <laughs> but the other, 
the other thing that's interesting too is companies increasingly as part of multi-factor authentication if you're on a company-owned laptop and you're trying to access a resource now a code is coming to your personal device and you have to punch in that code to get access so the lines just that line is just disappearing yeah yeah my personal device is also my uh you know my my new rsa fob you know with my <laughs> with my pen That's right um the last thing on the breaches that stood out for me though was and we talked about this earlier was iot now again for the audience i just want to make sure they understand that you know two three years ago iot and OT operational technologies were very distinct things. IOT was pretty much used to describe consumer, but they've kind of also blurred. You know, it's another one of those things that uh, there are IOT, they'll refer to it as IOT, even though when we might technically think of it as operational technology, but sensors and things like that um, and remote controls, um, I was surprised how big that number was, that it's that 22% of your respondents, and again, this is across a lot of industries. It's not like 22% of your surveyed respondents were in manufacturing and oil and gas. I mean, this was a broad, broad group and global. Um, and so I was surprised that one in five experienced a breach that they, they tracked it to having originated with an IOT device. I thought that 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 was a big scary number to me. Yeah, I I I can't say I was particularly surprised um just because internet face everything is internet facing now. Everything's an exaggeration, but so many things that just 5 years ago were not internet facing are now. You know, um yeah. I'll go broader just beyond the enterprise lens, you know, cars, um, household appliances, um, alarm systems in buildings. Mm -hmm. And all of that is, so now that there's this massive, massive attack surface now. And last year we saw some of the most glaring examples of what can go wrong um, on the manufacturing side um, and on the critical infrastructure side. So we mentioned a lot the, the Colonial Pipeline example where they had to shut down operations to deal with a ransomware attack and people were, you know, scrambling to gas up their cars. Um, and that's something that happened in critical infrastructure, but you're really dealing with a lot of the same vulnerabilities across the board, across industries. The, the effect is different from one industry to the next, but, you know, in terms of vectors, there's a lot of commonality there. Yeah. And you did some surveys on the types of devices being used. I mean, we've already mentioned BYOD, IOT, and um, there was even some surveys about, uh, and it actually it was a source of breaches again, where they mentioned that uh, they traced a lot of breaches back to uh, unpatched networking devices. So it's not just laptops. And I, it, and I think that's a problem with security. We too often focus with laptops, servers, that's, that's it. But today we have almost as many 
non-user devices that are being connected to our network that can be exploited. Like you said, they're part of the attack service. And I think we overlook them, which is kind of where, you know, I'm I'm happy where and, and why I joined Infoblox is because doing things at the DNS level, it's it's kind of like OS independent. It doesn't care about the hardware. It like you said, everything uses DNS, even these operational technology devices monitoring a fan in a mine or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, a truck, um, you know, transportation, to, uh, you know, they don't just do GPS. They monitor the refrigeration in trucks while they're driving around the world, uh, container uh, ships. This this stuff is everywhere. And DNS is the one place where you can get that visibility. But enough of, of the product pitch. Uh, we're just about out of time. And I did want to wrap up because um, there was a section there where they identified their top uh, challenges. And... Um, the the one that I thought was interesting was the skill shortage. Uh, 27% said that that's one of their top challenges, even though earlier in the report, 14%, half as many, reported that they actually have reduced their IT staff, possibly because of budgets, but hey, budgets were supposedly going up. So there's a little bit of a confusion there. But the top challenges all seemed, uh, three of the top five all were around visibility, monitoring workers, uh, monitoring devices, that stuff we were just talking about, and visibility of cloud and, and access. So is this really a security or is it a visibility issue in your mind? I mean, I think it's both. I, I mentioned a little a few minutes ago that hybrid is messy. It, to put it another way, hybrid, instead of a clean body of water, hybrid is a very muddy body of water so you can look on the surface and you can't see what's at the bottom and that's what this is really about and yeah that that's it's an operational problem but that in turn is a security problem because you know poisonous snakes hide in the tall grass um you know piranhas hide in muddy water um attackers hide in the muddy water and that's what we're seeing here all right all of a sudden i don't really want to go walk through the forest today but uh <laughs> i uh unfortunately uh, i see that we've been running out of time so um i really want to thank you for joining us bill this has been uh, great uh, we did a webinar recently and i encourage our, our listeners to go look at the the report and uh, perhaps take a look at the webinar uh, that you uh, did for us the other day uh, but thanks for being with us been a pleasure. You guys have been a pleasure to work with. Well, we appreciate it. And we appreciate our audience. And I want to thank all of you for your time and invite you to join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay safe and on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.